targeting this population using a coupon program would save approximately half a million under five lives at a cost of $1.5 billion each year. Welcome to an extra slice of the pie. This is an expanded podcast series featuring conversations with University of Chicago scholars on cutting edge research and key events of the day. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. In this episode, we're hearing from Michael Kramer. He's a professor of economics and director of the Development Innovation Lab at UC and received the 2019 Nobel Prize in Economics. We'll also hear from Stephen Luby, professor of medicine and infectious diseases at Stanford University. They are two co-authors of a study titled Water Treatment and Child Mortality, a systematic review and meta-analysis. At the time of this conversation, hosted by the Development Innovation Lab and the Center for Global Development, the research had not yet been released. The event was to discuss some of their findings. More than 2 billion people around the world still drink contaminated water, leading to illness and death from waterborne pathogens. That's despite widely available, effective, and inexpensive treatments. This study estimates that every $36 spent on water treatment could add a year of healthy life for young children. We begin with Stephen Luby, then move to Michael Kramer. Here's Stephen Luby. So I'm the physician here, so I'll make the point that we all need to drink water. Water is necessary for survival. The problem is that about 2 billion people consume drinking water that's contaminated with feces. And much of this feces has pathogens in it. Those pathogens make people sick. Most commonly, they make young children quite sick with diarrhea and can kill them. Now, water treatment, even using dilute chlorine, which is basically similar to chlorine bleach in the home, is a technology that's been used for over a century. It's widespread and it's effective against most, not all organisms. There are some chlorine resistant organisms, but it's pretty good. It covers most of them. It's inexpensive and it's quite safe. We have consistent evidence that water treatment reduces reported childhood diarrhea. There have been lots of randomized control trials on this and a couple of big meta-analyses and that's a pretty well accepted um, impact of treating of, um, water treatment. But experimentally measuring child mortality requires really large sample sizes. And for low-cost water treatment, there's very limited commercial interest in funding these large studies. And so the studies of water treatment interventions have characteristically been powered for caregiver-observed diarrhea. This means then that we don't have the kind of rigorous data on um, treatment of water on mortality. And so water treatment is often not included in lists of evidence-backed child mortality interventions. So we decided to do a meta-analysis. And I would say that the meta-analysis doesn't exist in isolation. If we go back to the early 20th century, we know that cities that implemented improved water treatment had reduced mortality, but we don't have really contemporary high quality randomized control trials with the contemporaneous control group. We um, 
began by looking at the data that was out there and that was available. We looked at the prior meta-analyses looking at water treatment and diarrhea and identified 73 studies. We then looked at those search criteria and applied them more generally and identified another 1,412 studies. This then generated titles and abstracts to review, which were reviewed by two people, all 1,485. And then among those that met our criteria, we contacted authors to find data on all-cause mortality. And this is important because mortality is a rare outcome and so often wasn't included in the papers. So if we look at what we found, um, ultimately, in, by reviewing all those titles and abstracts, there were 82 studies that we reviewed the full papers on. 63 of these were studies conducted in lower middle income countries. 53 of those were randomized control trial. 50 two included children under five. And of those, 80% of the authors, 42 responded. Um, 19 of those had collected mortality data. 17 of them still had that mortality data available. And in 15, there was a pure control group that hadn't been contaminated with, um, with other intervention. So if you look at those 15 studies that had a good control group, 12 of these were for chlorination, two of them were filtration, and one was a spring protection study. So the bulk of this work has really been around low-cost chlorination. And if you look at these studies, they run from 1970 to 2021. So these are studies that were um, conducted over the last 50 years with a rigorous um, contemporaneous control group. So one of the things we worry about is if you started with 82 studies and then you get down to 15, well, how well do these represent the broader experience with these interventions? So this is a um, histogram that shows the proportion of um, people who had diarrhea in these studies in the largest study, the most recent study of Jennifer Wolf's meta-analysis from 2018. And what you can see is that if we look at where the meta-analysis studies were, um, they really sit right here within the range of what we found, what Jennifer Wolf reported in the larger meta-analysis. And the median is really quite close to the median from those larger studies. So it looks like this subset is pretty similar in terms of the amount of diarrhea. And similarly, the studies that were included in our analysis have similar compliance, similar units of randomization, similar treatment effects on diarrhea, and the similar levels of diarrhea prevalence. So if we look here, this is a forest plot of the pedo odds ratio random effects model. So an estimate less than one implies a reduction in mortality. And so what you can see here is that the average reduction in mortality, a pedo odds ratio of 0.72, becomes a reduction in mortality then of 28%. If we restrict this analysis to chlorination, um, these ones here, then this increases to 31%, but it's not quite statistically significant. If rather than using a pedo odds ratio, we use a Bayesian odds ratio, um, this reduction is 30%. Michael's going to talk a little bit about 
what the implications are of these numbers for cost effectiveness. But as a public health physician, I just want to step back and call out that this is a big effect. Um, we're talking about something on the order of between one in every three and one in every four children who die, um, under five children who die are dying of diarrhea, are dying of diseases that could be prevented by water treatment. Now, of course, we have to interpret these results carefully. The impact of water treatment is going to vary depending on things like how great the burden of diarrhea is in a, in a given area. Um, however, in our sample, we don't find much evidence for the effect varying among groups. The I squared was 29% in the pedo odds ratio specification, suggesting that 29% of the variation across the studies was due to underlying variation in the true odds ratios, and 71% was due to sampling variation. We can't reject the hypothesis of a homogenous effects. I also should point out that there is a fairly wide confidence interval um, from 8% to 45%. But even at the low end of the confidence interval, child, um, reducing child mortality by 8% would still be um, a big effect. So I wanna turn this over to Michael. Thanks, Steve. I'd love to now discuss uh, different delivery systems for water treatment and also talk about cost effectiveness. So let me just start with a, a general principle on cost effectiveness. Governments, sometimes there's a, a focus on what's the single most cost-effective way of, of, of delivering something. And in general, governments may not want to focus on only the most cost-effective method available, in particular because water treatment, and I'll, I'll be quantitative about this later, because water treatment is so cheap compared to lots of other interventions, it makes sense to use not just the cheapest delivery methods, and somewhat more expensive delivery systems may reach more people and be more cost-effective than alternative health programming, and thus may increase the total health impact of a, of a ministry budget. I'll, I'll be more concrete about this as we go on, but let me start with something that has something that's one approach to delivery, which is already out there, and which is just reaching a very small fraction of the population, but is you know, has, is very inexpensive in terms of fiscal cost. So the one approach is to uh, socially market water treatment. Small bottles of dilute chlorine solution are sold and treatment take-up rates of that vary. But in a couple of studies that we cite below, we found take-up of 4%, seven, or others in other contexts found 7%. There are some cases where it gets significantly higher, but it's, it's quite modest. Now, one result that is robust across a range of, uh, this really comes from behavioral science, um, could just be uh, people just don't have much money. In any case, whatever the reason, free provision seems to substantially increase take-up in a variety of, of contexts. If you go back to the 1990s, you know, many policymakers, many NGOs advocated user fees, but we now have a, experiments across a wide range of areas suggesting that there's a very large response to a uh, uh, very large difference on take-up between charging a fee or providing things for free. So for example, um, a small fee for deworming treatment reduced take-up from 70% to 17%. And, then, and in the case of uh, water treatment, uh, 
the fee took reduced take up from 34% to 12%. So you might want to consider uh, free treatment. Obviously, that will be more expensive for the government, not for society as a whole necessarily. There might be some concern that this would lead to wastage. So let me discuss a, a, a project that looks at a program that provided coupons for free water treatment solution uh, that were distributed and could be redeemed uh, at clinics and that could be redeemed at local shops or clinics. What we found was that this led to usage that was almost identical to pre-delivery, but this was distributed just to households with young children, so it targeted the right population. And we saw that there was very, there was very little wastage of this. The households that obtained the uh, water treatment solution were very likely to use it. We tested their water to see whether it was treated with chlorine. I think one huge advantage of this approach is that it's very easily integrated into existing health systems. So when you know, most, most uh, mothers are coming in to visit clinics for, uh, for delivery, for postnatal visits, for immunization visits, and the coupons can be handed out during those visits. And then they can pick up the, the uh, water treatment solution either at the clinic itself or at shops. What we found is you know, about one third of people using. So a substantial gain relative to just social marketing where households have to pay. And you know, when I was making the general comment earlier, some cases it's worth paying to uh, a bit more to get higher uptake of something that's as cost effective as we in reducing mortality as we found water treatment to be. You know, going this this is um, I'll show some cost effectiveness numbers, but I think this is one case where it would be. Let's, let me go on to something that would take usage levels even higher, but is a bit harder to deliver and could only be delivered in certain situations. This is water treatment uh, dispensers. This is something else that I've also been involved in for disclosure. So these dispensers are placed at a water collection point, and they, they have a valve that releases the correct dose of chlorine solution for, a, say, a 20-liter jerry can. Um, and they're designed using some principles from behavioral science. Uh, they're free, which I argued is important. That could be from behavioral science, but also from other areas. They're very salient. They're big, bright blue. They're convenient. They're right there at the water point. There's a time each day I, when you're collecting water that you would treat the water, and that's useful for building habits. And they're public, which means that people can see other people using them. They can ask questions. They can also, people can see whether they're using them, which might help build a norm. And so in an initial study of this, we found 50% take-up sustained after two years. This has now been, you know, that was sort of an early version of this. An NGO called Evidence Action has now scaled this up and refined methods. There are currently 4.4 million people who have access to this, and 2.5 million people uh, seem to use it on a, uh, on a, on a given day. Uh, to when they do testing to see if, if people have uh, chlorine in their water, that's it's 2.5 million people who seem to be using this. Now, what are some limitations of this? Well, first, in, it's only cost effective when enough households share a water collection point. If there's a single household installing a dispenser, that would uh, involve some extra cost and maybe that wouldn't be worth it. So if this is a non-point source, if people are just collecting along a stream anywhere, maybe this wouldn't 
wouldn't work. It also requires some infrastructure to be built, maintained, refilled. Um, you know, Evidence Action has done that in, in, uh, uh, successfully, but it's not that every government already has a system to, uh, in place to do this the way that almost every government has a network of clinics and maternal and child health services. Uh, this 50% take up, you know, this is roughly four times the level that you would get from, from just uh, socially marketing uh, water, water treatment solutions. So we're, we're getting you know, from single digit take up to a third to a half. We want to go even higher. One approach that can work is inline chlorination. So this re does require a pipe, but if there's a pipe, you can attach a device um, that delivers a fairly low dose. So that addresses taste barriers and the devices are fairly cheap. There's an RCT, again, suggesting health impacts of this particular method, but I think the, the basic logic of the science is that you know, delivery of, uh, of chlorination uh, should, should be treating water you know, similarly on uh, most places, just independent of the delivery method. This does need infrastructure, and in fact, it requires water to come through pipes. So there's some types of sources where the water doesn't come through a pipe, and you know, there'd be some additional costs involved in this. Let me just uh, uh, mention you know, one further or a couple of further things that you could go in this direction. Obviously, large parts of the world have water delivered through uh, municipal water treatment systems. Those are going to be very reach a lot of people in the, in the areas where they're suitable. But those are going to be more expensive in, say, rural areas where people live on their own farms um, rather than living centrally all, all together in a village. You know, that's going to be still more expensive. So I think my overall view would be that it's not that we want to, to choose one, one of these methods, that we probably want a combination of these methods depending on the, on the circumstances. And there are some methods that could be done everywhere or virtually everywhere, like the coupon approach. There are other methods that, like municipal water chlorination, which we hope eventually at higher levels of economic development, everybody will get, but for the time being, may only be uh, possible in some areas. Let me go to some numbers though. And um, so let me start with the Evidence Action Dispensers for Safe Water program. Here we're using real data uh, that Evidence Action's provided on their costs and the number of people reached and on usage. Then we did some more back of the envelope hypothetical calculations for a coupons program. You know, we don't have data from the uh, implementation at the same scale that of reaching millions of people, but we've made some rough assumptions. These would have to be investigated further, but let's assume, for example, that the cost of delivery is just as much as the retail cost of, of, uh, of buying water guard in a, in a shop. So the, you double the cost for that. And some other you know, relatively tough assumptions, we would still get an estimated cost effectiveness that's quite similar to dispensers. There'll be some, some uh, differences here, but they're extremely minor in the big picture. There's, there's really no appreciable difference. So here are some calculations. I'm gonna skip over some of the details, uh, but let me show you the numbers for the cost per death of a child under five averted. These would be, under $3,000 per death averted. And if you want to express this in terms of disability adjusted life years, they're each about $35 per disability adjusted life year averted. So these are enormously cost-effective 
they're on the same order of, there are only a small number of, of health uh, programs that have been estimated to be under $100 per daily averted. You know, things like vaccination, um, anti-malaria bed nets, rotavirus vaccination, some micronutrient interventions. This suggests that water treatment belongs on that list. Take this last calculation as a, you know, with a grain of salt and as a back of the envelope calculation. The WHO estimates that 2.2 billion people around the world do not have access to safely managed drinking water services. Based on the meta-analysis estimate of a reduction in child mortality of around a quarter, targeting this population using a coupon program would save approximately 370,000 under five lives at a cost of $1.1 billion each year. I wouldn't take those numbers as, as authoritative, but they give a sense of the order of magnitude. They illustrate that making water treatment universally available would be feasible, affordable, and save a tremendous number of lives. To conclude, the meta-analysis suggests that water treatment is a highly effective and cost-effective way of reducing child mortality, probably up there with the, the most cost-effective uh, health interventions in the world. As, uh, to generalize my point earlier, I don't think it's a contest about which is you know, the, the best. I think we have sufficient resources to do all of these uh, very cost-effective health approaches. I think different delivery mechanisms will be suitable for different circumstances. For some of these, they've been, been done at scale, but I think others you know, will need more work to examine exactly the details of how to scale this. But I think there's, these results suggest that that should be a high priority for governments and for philanthropy. Thank you. You've been listening to Michael Kramer of the Development Innovation Lab at the University of Chicago. He was preceded by Stephen Luby of Stanford University. Thank you for joining us for today's extra slice of the pie. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. Our theme and original music were produced by Story Mechanics. We'll see you next time.